my name's Valerie. And I'm reading this morning from Romans 15, and I'm using the New Living Translation. And Paul has just been writing to the Romans about what it was right to eat and drink and stuff offered to idols. And in chapter 15 it starts, We may know that these things make no difference, but we cannot just go ahead and do them to please ourselves. We must be considerate of the doubts and fears of those who think these things are wrong. We should please others. If we do what helps them, we will build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't please himself. As the scriptures say, those who insult you are also insulting me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. May God, who gives this patient, patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward the other. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you then God will be glorified. This is the word of God. Acceptance and belonging are basic, intrinsic human needs. Much has been studied and written about the psychology of acceptance. However, research aside, all people naturally, innately need to feel a sense of acceptance and connection to other people. When we feel accepted, we feel like we belong. We feel validated, we feel normal. Acceptance conveys love. It frees us to be ourselves and allows us to be more open to change. When we don't feel accepted, we feel isolated, rejected, unheard, misunderstood and unloved. Feeling unaccepted is a very crippling experience. We will never reach our potential when we feel unaccepted or unacceptable in our environment. One of the ways we can be a loving church is by obeying the command to accept one another. A loving church is a place where you feel accepted. In fact, this is one of the great distinctives of a church in comparison to a club. If we're to be honest, though, we know that this is a lot easier said than done. 
Sometimes we can find it really hard to accept those people who are different to us. They might dress differently. They might speak differently. They might have different beliefs, different values and attitudes. And in these situations, it's easy for us to become critical and judgmental, even if those feelings only ever remain internal. That, however, is not how believers are to relate to each other. Before we bring the biblical teaching into the 21st century, it is critical that we understand what the Bible means when it speaks of acceptance. What was the situation facing the church in Rome that Paul is writing about? If we understand that, then we may be better equipped to correctly interpret what God is saying to us through his word today. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every opportunity that we have to open your word and to hear from you. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you might speak to us through your word. And we ask, Lord, that it would be your word, not mine, that is heard. May we, Lord, have open ears and open hearts to be responsive to your Holy Spirit. May your Spirit illuminate your word and what you would have us, how you would have us respond to it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Similar to last week's command to love one another, in this particular instance, Paul is speaking directly to believers. So that helps narrow our focus to begin with. This teaching is directed towards how brothers and sisters in Christ are to relate to one another. The church in Rome was divided. They were not divided over the deity and lordship of Jesus. They were not divided over the core gospel message. They were not divided over the way of salvation. They were divided over secondary, internal matters. And oftentimes, this is where we come unstuck. And it's a, a good reminder to make sure that as believers, we always keep the main thing, the main thing. The Christians in Rome were standing in judgment over one another, and Paul rebukes them for it. The community appears to have been divided into two groups, those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith. And they criticised and condemned each other. And Paul insists that this judgmental attitude must stop and give way to tolerance and respect. So as he points out in verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. Our reading today, as Valerie mentioned, comes at the tail end of a long discourse on judgment and acceptance. And Paul commences his argument in chapter 14 by writing, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. In chapter 14, 1 to 12, Paul rebukes the two groups, the strong and the weak, for looking down on each other and reminds them that it is to God, not to each other, that every believer must ultimately answer to. 
judgment is to be reserved for the only just judge. In 14, 13 to 23, he urges those who are strong in faith to act out of love rather than a selfish ambition to be right. Then in chapter 15, 1 to 7, which we heard, he continues to focus primarily on those who are strong and invites or calls them to be loving examples of Christ in always seeking the good of the other person. It's a little bit like the older sibling. You expect more from them. You expect that their more developed age, maturity and life experience qualifies them to rise above the behaviour of the younger one and set the right tone. The older one ought to be setting an example for the younger one to follow. Well, at least that's what parents think. As with all of Paul's letters, we only have one side of the conversation. So we don't know all the reasons for the division that was caused in the church, but we do know, as Paul alludes to, that there were divisions over meat. There were divisions around observing the Sabbath, and there is also an allusion to drinking wine. Some people choose to refrain from eating meat, effectively becoming vegetarians, not to protest against animal cruelty, but for fear that some of the meat they bought and consumed may have been used uh, as an offering in worshipping another god. And this is exactly the same reason why some people chose not to drink wine. It was not because of the effect of alcohol, rather it was because of the risk that it may also have been used in idol worship. Now these were well-meaning believers uh, with honourable intentions in their hearts and they honestly felt convicted in these things and they acted according to those convictions. That in itself is a good thing and Paul affirms that. The problem is when you start to enforce your particular conviction on everyone else and condemn them for not following suit. The details aside, what the dispute was really about is the Jewish law. The weak were primarily those Jewish Christians who could not bring themselves to abandon the requirements of the law they had observed all their life. As Christians now, they could not simply forego the food laws, the Sabbath practices, and so forth. This is interesting. When I first read chapter 14 about the weak and strong, I naturally assumed that the weak ones were the new Christians, the baby believers. And I thought that the strong ones were the old, wise, mature believers. I was wrong. The group of people that Paul is referring to as weak are the Jewish Christians. These are people who have grown up steeped in Scripture. These are seasoned religious folk. They know the law inside out. You love God by obeying the law would have been their mantra. However, under the new covenant, some laws had changed or had been completely abolished. But these guys were so used to their traditions that they couldn't handle not following them. 
So effectively, they wanted Jesus and tradition. On the other hand, the majority of the strong ones that Paul is referring to in this case are the Gentile Christians. Of course, there would have been exceptions, Paul himself being case in point. But for the most part, these were those who were new to the faith, many of whom had been living carefree, immoral lives before Christ, but had come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and were now living their lives free from any religious baggage. They could quite happily continue to throw stakes on the barbie without it compromising their faith. As Paul states in chapter 14, 20, all food is clean. However, he doesn't stop there. Paul immediately goes on to talk about avoiding doing things that could cause a brother or a sister to stumble. Whilst Paul sides with the strong group in principle, his main concern is to get each group to stop criticising each other and to accept each other in a spirit of love and unity. All of that brings us to chapter 15, where Paul urges the strong to accept the weak and the weak to accept the strong just as Christ has accepted them. Today, our issues with one another are different to the issues the early church was grappling with. But people are people. And standing over another in pious condemnation is just as alive and well now as it was back then. So the command to accept one another as Christ accepts you is just as relevant to believers today as it, was in the 20, as it was in the first century. What are some transferable principles that we can apply to our context here today? Accepting a fellow believer whose understanding or interpretation of Scripture that differs from ours is not agreeing with them. The challenge is to rise above the need to always be right. Being theologically correct all the time does not bring God praise. Accepting a brother or sister weaker in the faith does. Wholehearted acceptance does not mean convenient avoidance. Perhaps we, should, perhaps we avoid speaking or relating to people whom we struggle to accept, convincing ourselves that if we don't connect, then we don't have to accept. Paul won't allow that. If anything, we are to reach out to those who are different to us, to those who we struggle with, and we are to offer them grace and hospitality. This, my friends, is the kind of behaviour that demonstrates Christ-likeness. We need to get the focus away from ourselves and onto others, as verse 2 so clearly highlights. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. Building up the body 
and remaining unified is of primary concern for Paul. Let's face it, being a follower of Jesus is hard enough in a post-Christian society. We need all the support and encouragement that we can get to press on in our faith and remain strong. If we can't even learn to get along and accept one another in the church, then what kind of message and example are we setting for the world? If we do have genuine concern with the attitude or behaviour of a fellow believer, judgment and condemnation will not win their trust and allow us to speak into their lives. Acceptance and grace will. But we must be cautioned to check our motives. Is our motive derived from a place that genuinely longs to bring glory to God? Or is it one to be right? Are we prepared to humbly come alongside a brother or a sister with a posture of mutual brokenness before God? If I am to come alongside of you with a genuine desire to bring praise to God, then I must come alongside you with an open and honest recognition of my equal sinfulness before God. People can sniff superiority a mile off. And they won't respond to it. I like what Jacobson writes on pages 42 to 43. Accept people just as they are, trusting that God will change them in time. Accepting them as people does not mean you condone their behaviours and beliefs. It simply means you respect their humanity enough to let them work through the process. People open their lives to those who accept them the way they are and run from those who are always trying to change them into what they think they should be. The Greek word rendered accept means wholehearted acceptance and is a verb. It requires an action. Now, of course, extending wholehearted acceptance to brothers and sisters whose views and behaviours differ from ours, again, is so much easier said than done, isn't it? I think this is especially testing for us here at Erina, where we have two very distinct demographics, generations apart. You know, if all we had to do was be nice to each other, well, that would be fine. But let me tell you now that wholehearted acceptance requires a whole lot more than mere niceties. Oftentimes, it's not that one person is right and that one person is wrong, just different. Our different upbringing and experiences influence our preferred styles of worship 
our approaches to prayer, our ministry preferences, and even the daily expression of how our faith gets lived out. As God's people, we need His wisdom and plenty of grace to ensure that we are not placing an unnecessary burden or yoke upon one another of Jesus and whatever else it may be that our experience and understanding of faith entails. It's important to comprehend that this teaching is a command, not just a suggestion. That doesn't mean that we're going to get it right every time. It doesn't mean that it will be easy. But what it does mean is that to the best of our ability, with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, we seek to follow what God's Word calls us to do. That is why in verses 4 to 5, Paul directs us to the Scriptures. For there we will find teaching on endurance, on perseverance, and on encouragement. And these things give us hope. I'm a person who really likes to set goals. Small goals and large goals. I've done it for years and it's very much part of who I am. An important lesson I've come to understand over all these years of setting goals and achieving some and failing miserably at others is the necessity of understanding and articulating what is the motivation behind the goal. It's great to have a goal. But unless you get clarity around why you want to achieve that goal, you're going to come unstuck. That has very much been my experience. One author has written, people lose their way when they lose their why. And so let me apply that methodology to this teaching. You see, we will have a much better chance of succeeding, obeying this command, if we understand why it is that we ought to. What is the motivation behind acceptance of one another? Well, Paul offers us two reasons. And the first one is because Jesus accepted us. Acceptance is not always easy. But we must remember that we have first been accepted. And that is Paul's point. Just as Christ accepted us, so too we are to accept other believers. When Christ has accepted someone, how can we then turn around and not extend acceptance to them as a brother or sister in Christ? Our attitude towards others must flow out of the transformation that Christ has brought into our own lives. The way Jesus approached and conducted himself in relationships is our model. 
He looked at people with love in his eyes and compassion in his heart. Of all people, he had the right to act superior. But he didn't. In fact, he did the complete opposite, as Paul explains in Philippians 2, 5 to 8, where he writes, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The first motivation for accepting one another is that Christ first accepted us. The second reason is that it brings God praise Bringing God praise extends well beyond our singing. It's intrinsically tied up with how we treat one another and how we get along. Oftentimes, we judge and equate the level of praise we are bringing to God by how good the music sounds or how expressive we are in our singing. When people say the worship was good today or comment that, that church has really great worship, they are generally referring to that time in the service when people are singing songs of praise to God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not at all suggesting that we don't engage in this important part of our service. Uh, Singing songs of praise to God is one of the ways that God's people, right from the very beginning of time, have praised and worshipped Him. But let's be realistic about how much praise and worship our singing alone brings to God. If our worship of God is not having a transforming effect in our hearts and lives, causing us to become more Christ-like in the way we relate to each other, then we are kidding ourselves if we think that we have truly bought praise to God that is acceptable in His sight. Praise that is passionate and worshipful is wonderful only when it is having that transformative effect in our hearts and in our lives that directs us to becoming more Christ-like. God's glory is advanced when His children, who by nature are sinful and easily self-centered, and we find it so easy to get wrapped up in our own concerns, God's glory is advanced when sinful, broken people just like you and I learn to put our differences aside and get along with each other and extend to each other Love and warmth and acceptance. This, my friends, demonstrates that the Holy Spirit is alive and well in our hearts, transforming us and increasingly helping us become people.
people who are living sacrifices, the kind of worship that God desires from us. We are to accept each other because Christ accepted us. It is hypocritical to do otherwise. When we cultivate healthy, authentic, God-honouring relationships with one another, God gets glorified. One of the ways that we will become the loving church that God is calling us to be is to wholeheartedly accept one another. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much for Jesus and we thank you that through your Son you have extended wholehearted acceptance to us. By your Holy Spirit, may you transform us, Lord, to be people who can wholeheartedly accept one another for the glory of and the praise of your name, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this great song of proclamation.
wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. Filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention to worship you yet you've told us us the offering you deserve to do justly and to love mercy to walk humbly with you God you said to do justly to walk humbly you are humbly 